This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, everybody. How are you? Go ahead and have a seat. What a great way to party. What a great thing to party. We are alive, and He's alive in us. So, hey, welcome to church. I have something to say to you who are here every single week, or most every single week. You have such a special place in my heart. It's such a joy to get to watch what God does in your life because week after week you come and you allow God to speak into your life and He changes you a little bit every week, every week. And the cumulative factor in that is just huge. And it's such an honor and a joy to get to take that journey and to watch God work in your life. I also have a message to those of you who are newbies this morning, or even relative newbies. Um, It's an honor to get to spend the morning with you. And I realize that you have taken a risk by coming to a church maybe that you've never been to before. You don't know the protocol. You don't know when to stand up. You don't know when to sit down. you You don't know whether it's okay to laugh here or not okay to laugh here because, well, you just don't know. Well, hey... You've taken a risk. My prayer is that by the end of the morning that you're grateful you've taken that risk. Because we have one thing on our agenda, and that is to draw near to God and to connect with Him. And and we do it through worship. We do it through the teaching of God's Word, and we actually do it through being together. And uh, so... I know one thing about those of you who come here every week, when you walked in this morning, you had no clue where to sit, right? (laughs) That's awesome. Now, listen, the chairs are in a different seating arrangement on purpose because we're going to be talking about our coming life group session. It's just the, the most important times in the rhythms of our church through a year are the times when we ramp up and get on board in life groups. And really the central issue in life groups is community. And so I'm going to do some teaching about that today. But we wanted you to sit where you could actually see each other and feel more like a community than when you're just looking at the back of the head of the people in front of you. So, uh, are you going to survive? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we're going to have a great time this morning. For those of you who are brand new, let me walk you through two tools that we use every single Sunday at New Life. And the first You'll find them both in your program, and the first is this card. If you pull it out on the front side, the side that says start here, there's a place for you to put your contact information. It's not because we're looking for more names and addresses, but we take seriously the responsibility that we have to help people draw closer to God. And we know that if we can somehow connect with you, we can, we can assist you in that process. So it begins by you trusting us with your name and your contact information, knowing we're not going to give it to anybody else. And then on the back side, there are numbers of ways that you can either request information, ask us to pray about something that's going on in your life. If you have a job interview this week, or if somebody in your family really needs help, or there's been some great thing that's happened in your life, we want to come alongside you and, and, and pray about that in whatever way would be appropriate. And one of the things that you can do with this is you can sign up a register for anything that our church offers. And I'll give you an example at the very bottom. There's a place that says intro. 
you can see that option. Intro is a class designed especially for people who are new to our church. If I were going to go to a new church before I sort of considered myself part of that church, I'd want to know what they believed, basic teachings from the Bible. I would know, want to know what they really valued. In other words, what's really important to them, and I would want to know how they work together as a church. And that's really what intro was about. I'll be teaching that for the next two Sundays in the, in the classroom off the end of the lobby. So if you're brand new to our church, that would be an absolutely great class for you to take. It would mean next Sunday that instead of coming in here, you would go straight into that classroom. If you have children, you can check them into the children's ministries and so forth. So if you haven't taken that class, I want to encourage you, put a check mark in that little, in that little option there. And when you turn this card in later today, you will be registered. That's how it works. You can do that every single week for anything um, in, in the, uh, that you want to sign up for. The second tool is this. It's a half sheet of notes. And you can pull those out. Those will guide you through what I'm going to teach over the next few minutes. We want you to learn every single Sunday you come to church. We want you to learn something very practical about life. Um, I have one thing to say to you um, through who knows what reasons. Somehow all of the Bible scriptures that I'm going to be reading to you did not make it into your notes. There's something inherently wrong with that, don't you think? You come to church and somehow none of the scriptures are in your notes. I apologize for that. I can't rewrite your notes right now. But I can tell you that the scriptures will be up on the screens. So we will read them out loud together. I'll read them to you later on as we go through. So we're going to learn something this morning about human nature. And I'm going to start out by drawing a diagram about human behavior. And you can find it in your notes as well. It's got three boxes and this is the result of decades of study by behavioral scientists, psychologists, by sociologists, people who study human behavior. And, and they sort of all agree, or the vast majority of them agree, that there are three major factors that influence our behavior as human beings. And one is what we believe to be true. So the truth. You can write that in the first box. So if you and I believe, like our founding forefathers did, that when people are sick, that the problem is in the blood, and therefore the best way to treat it is to drain a person's blood, okay? Then for decades, people went and got their blood drained when they were sick so that they would get well. That truth influenced their behavior. And by and large, what you believe to be true about life, what you believe to be true about your family, will affect how you build a family. What you believe to be true about friendships will affect how you build friendships. What you believe to be true about work will affect your worth ethic. That's exactly how it goes. The second factor that influences us is our community. The people that we choose to surround ourselves with, or in some cases, the people that we might not have chosen them, but they just end up to be in our circle. You get a job, you probably didn't choose your co-workers, but you got them anyway, correct? That's sort of how that works. Sometimes when you go to college, you don't get to choose your roommates. They get assigned to you, and you meet them, and you're sort of stuck with them for at least a term 
um, most of us did not choose our neighbors. We bought a house, and the neighbors just came in the package. But that community also affects how we behave. And then the last thing is something we call practice or habit. And that is the practices that we choose to develop in this life greatly affect what we do with our life and what we eventually become. Now, just for fun, on your notes, I want you to think for a minute about which one of those might have the most impact on what you actually do with your life. Would it be what you believe to be true? Would it be the people that you surround yourself, or would it be the habits that you develop in your life? I'll give you 30 seconds to figure it out and circle it on your notes. This will be a little fun. Got it figured out? How many of you thought it was this? Okay, a few. How many of you thought it was this? A lot more. How many of you thought it was this? Yeah, here it is. All the research. Let's hear it for all the people who put it right here, huh? Yeah, you should have figured that out. We're talking about life groups, right? Okay, all right, all right. Now, let me tell you something. Um, Several years ago, the, probably the largest study that's ever been done on heart trouble uh, was done. It's called the Framingham Study. And one of the more interesting things that they discovered while they were studying heart trouble was, well, right away, they put together, there was a correlation between people being overweight and having heart trouble. So that led them to ask, what are the factors that contribute to a person being overweight? And they looked at all such things like, well, what's their ethnic background? And what's their heritage from their family of origin? And do they live in the city or do they live in the country? They looked at all these factors, and to everyone's surprise, the number one predictor of whether a person would eventually be overweight in life. Are you ready for this? Was whether their best friend was overweight. Wow. You know, they discovered something that God put in the Bible a long time ago. It's, you'll see it on the screen. It's Proverbs chapter 13 says, If you walk with the wise, you will become wise. But if you associate with fools, you're headed for trouble. We have, throughout this series, Pastor Kevin has said to us, Show me your friends and I will show you what? Your future. And just in case we missed that, he said, walk with wise people and you'll become wise. Walk with idiots and eventually you become what? An idiot. Yeah. That is a fact of life. The power of community is huge when it comes to human behavior. Now, some really smart people said, hey, what would happen if we took the power of community and leveraged it to help people during the toughest times of their life? For instance, what would happen if we harnessed the power of community for people who were struggling with an addiction to alcohol? And guess what came out of that? The whole concept of AA. What would happen if we took the power of community and harnessed it to help people who had recently lost a loved one? 
And it gave rise to the whole grief share phenomenon. Or what would happen if we took the power of community and harnessed it and put it to work in the lives of people who were undergoing a divorce? And the whole concept of divorce care was born. Yeah, in fact, it gave birth to to the whole concept of the support group movement that has been active in our world for a few decades. Along the way, we've learned one really important principle, and here it is. Together, we go further. And that's the message I would want you to hear today. Every once in a while, someone will say to me, well, Pastor, I have my own faith. I don't share it with anybody. It's just between me and God. I don't mean to discount that faith at all, but I can tell you this. That person will never go as far in their faith as the person who becomes part of a church and takes the journey together. Because we have learned, not just in church, but we have learned through through support group after support group after support group, whether it's weight loss or parenting, it doesn't make any difference. Together, we go further. Now, we have several decades of support group history under our belts now, and we've learned a number of things about what makes support groups succeed. And we've learned that there are four principal factors that affect the success of a support group. And here they are. The first is belonging. And the key issue in belonging is is sort of the bonding slash partnership dynamic. You can put together a group of people, but if they never bond, nobody's life in that group is going to change. They might get together and study interesting information, but nobody's life will ever change until the people in that group bond. But it has to go deeper than bonding. It has to be a bonding that happens to the point that there's a sense of partnership so that when someone in that group says, hey, I've got this thing happening in my life. Would you all pray with me about this? And the group goes away and they really pray. And when they get back together again the next week and they say, how did that thing go? If it went well, the whole group goes, wow, that is awesome. It was so fun to pray with you about that. Or if it didn't go well, the whole group goes, oh man, but I want you to know I prayed. I'm so sorry. There has to be that sense, not just that we are bonded, but that Every victory in your life in some way is a victory in mine. And every struggle in your life is somehow and in some way shared by me and by everybody else in the group. If that's missing, the group doesn't succeed. The second factor that affects the success of the group is transparency. And the key issue in transparency is safety. There has to be a culture created in the group where everyone knows that whatever is shared in the group stays in the group. By the way, that works a lot better in life groups than it does in Vegas. (laughs) Got it? Yeah. Okay? There has to be that culture of safety and, and, and safety to the point that everyone, not just most of the people in the group, but everyone in the group knows that this is a place where we get real to the point of sharing even the struggles. Kevin shared with us a very powerful principle, I believe, two weeks ago, 
when he said, we impress people by sharing our strengths, but we bond with people by sharing our struggles. I don't want us to miss that. And when that's present in a support group, amazing things happen. If it's missing, nothing happens, really. A third uh, thing, factor that affects it is investment. If there are 10 people in a support group and seven of them share regularly and they share their struggles and they're open and they're transparent and three of them just sort of sit and observe what's going on, who do you think experiences change in their life? The seven or the three? The seven. Because after decades of support group experience, we now know that those who participate benefit and those who observe don't. The amount of benefit you receive is pretty much directly proportional to how much you invest of yourself in that group. And can I say a cautionary word? Telling everybody how they should do their stuff is not you investing. (laughs) Got it? Okay. It's when you begin to talk about your own stuff that the really good things happen. And then the fourth factor that affects it Um, is consistency. You know, in every support group, there tends to be two categories of people. There are the people who show up, by and large, every week. And then there are the people who show up, by and large, only when they struggle or they're bored or they feel obligated to. The ones who show up every week end up with this thing that I was talking to those of you who are regulars around here, they end up with this thing called life-on-life transformation. And it is dynamic. It's powerful. It is transformational. I like to think of it as brick upon brick and stone upon stone. And, and when you, you know, it doesn't look like you're doing much, but every week you're adding a stone. Every week you're adding a brick. Every week you're making a small change in your life. And at the end of a 12 week life group cycle, you look at your life and there are 12 new dimensions to your life that didn't exist previously because you came every single week and every single week you, you put another brick in your life where it needed to be. It's that consistency. And in every group or in every individual's life where consistency is not there, the group does them no good. You know what happens? They come and then they miss three or four weeks and then they come and they miss three or four weeks. Every time they come, it's like they're starting over again. And they never build a brick upon a brick. Every week it's it's the first brick all over again. Now, Here's where I want you to see the absolute genius of God. Because this whole support group phenomenon has come in our country, in our world, just over the last several decades. But did you know that God created the church to be a superhuman support group? Let's take a look at our diagram up here. The first thing that God did is said, I know the truth is really important. So in the church that I'm going to build, I'm going to give them ultimate truth. Not just 
perceived truth. In fact, God said, I'm going to write it down in a book called the Bible, and I'm going to make sure that they have access to things that are 100% true, not just somebody's best guess. And so God took the concept of truth, and He raised it to what I call the divine dimension. And then God said, let's take this community... And instead of making it a community of people who simply care about each other in some common area of life, what if we took the church and raised the concept of community to the divine level by making it a community of people who actually love each other and not just love each other, but what if that love was raised to the divine dimension of loving each other in the way that Christ loves us? And then God said, these practices, these habits that we build in life, what if those could be described as soul training exercises that instead of working on something like changing what we eat or changing where we go on Friday night to make sure it's not at the local bar or or changing other things, what if we focused on what's on the inside of a person, their soul? And we changed how their soul felt and operated. And what if we changed their mind, how their mind thought and perceived? And and what if we changed their spirit? Imagine what would take place in their behaviors if we actually changed them from the inside out. And so he raised this to the divine dimension. And then God said, I have one other thing I want to do. What if it all operated under the guidance and in the strength of my own spirit, the Holy Spirit? And friends, when you put all that together, you know what you have? You have the church. Now think about this. Either God was 2,000 years ahead of his time, or it took the the experts 2,000 years to figure out what God did in the church. I think that's probably what it was. That God made the church to be this amazing support group. Which raises an interesting question that I think sometimes we struggle with. Did God make the church for Him or for us? I think most of us have a default setting that says that God made the church for Him. You know how I know that? Because here's how it plays out in our life. How often do I need to go to church in order to keep the big man off my back? And you know, the answer to that really varies. If you were born and raised in a very legalistic church, you will show up at church every Sunday, and if you miss a Sunday and something goes bad in your life that week, what's the first thing you think? I miss church. I got what I deserved. Can I tell you, a good friend of mine would say, Friends, that is stinking thinking. That's not how God operates. God didn't make the church for himself. Now listen, if you were raised in maybe a different culture, you might think twice a year, Christmas and Easter. If I go that, you know, it's enough to keep him off my back. But here's the truth. I'm pretty sure God didn't sit in heaven and go, my ego needs a little stroking. I'm, feel a little, I'm feeling a little under-affirmed right now. 
So if I think I know what to do, I'm going to get all my people together every week and they're going to sing about how wonderful I am and I'll feel a lot better about myself. <laughs> think that's how that worked? No, not a chance. Listen, look at the screen. Here's why God made the church. God didn't design the church for Himself, but for us. It's the best way for us to get the most out of life and make the biggest difference. What have we learned? See if you can finish this statement. You just heard it. Together we go further. That's the amazing genius of God and the church. Let me show you how it gets described in the Bible. I'm going to read three passages to you. They're all out of the book of Acts. The first one says, in the temple and from house to house. Now, normally I would have you circle from house to house, but it's really hard to do because it's not in your notes, all right? So in your mind, circle it up there on the screen, all right? To get in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message that Jesus is the Messiah. That, friends, is the message of the church. And they did it in the temple, but they also did it in this house-to-house dimension. Let's go on to Acts chapter 2. They worshiped together at the temple each day, and they met in homes. There's that house-to-house dimension again for the Lord's Supper. And what was the result in their lives? They shared their meals with great joy. That's getting the most out of life all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That's how to make the biggest difference. Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to the people in Ephesus these things, or he actually spoke them to those people in person. He said, you know, I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful for you. That's the truth portion, okay? But I have taught you publicly, and here's the community portion, and from house to house. So what does this house-to-house thing look like at New Life? Life groups are where we become the church to each other. Now, oftentimes, we will teach you that church is not something we go to. Church is who we are. But the question is, how do we become the church to each other? How does this, this transformation, this life-on-life transformation take place? I'm going to write four words up here on the board, and then we will dive into this particular portion. Love, forgive, serve, and honor. I have a question for you. Are those good words or bad words? Of course they're good words. I wouldn't write, well, maybe I would. All right, here we go. Actually, the truth is, it depends upon the, it depends upon the context. What if I said to you, love is a great thing, and so I've decided to love only one person in life, me. And I think forgiveness is a good thing. So I've decided to forgive only one person in life, and that's me. I'm not forgiving anybody else. And what if service is a good thing, so I'm going to serve myself, and honor is a good thing, so I'm going to honor myself. Now are those good words or bad words? Not so good. They're destructive. Because these words find their greatest fulfillment when we put two words behind them. 
one another. I call them life essentials. Did you know that in the New Testament alone, in talking about the church, that the New Testament writers put 22 of these different words in the New Testament, followed by the words one another. 22 different life essentials. Now the amazing thing that hits me about all of 22 of these, and we'll just take these four to begin with, is that they're really hard to do in this setting. They're relatively natural to do in the house-to-house setting. They're relatively difficult to do here. If I'm going to love you, my love, the ability to communicate my love for you in this setting is pretty much limited to hugging you on the way in and hugging you on the way out. That's about as deep as it can get. If I'm going to forgive you, it's really hard to forgive you in this setting because forgiveness involves what we call a crucial conversation And crucial conversations don't take place very well in here or even in the lobby. If I'm going to serve you, I can serve you by teaching you today. But the real service that that would be transformational for you would be that sense of partnership where I could come alongside you. And if you're in the hospital, I could be with you in the hospital. And if you were moving from one house to another, I could be on the truck with you and lifting boxes and taking them into your home and, and all the things that would allow us to be the church to each other. And the same thing is true with honor. Life groups are principally where we get to be the church to each other. Now, in this coming season of Life Groups, which starts in just a couple of weeks, we have added another dimension that I want to talk about for just a minute. And uh, in the past, we've had all different kinds of Life Groups and all different kinds of subjects, and you sort of picked the Life Group by the subject that you wanted to learn about, and that's a good thing, and we'll probably do that again sometime in the future. But for the next season of our church, instead of emphasizing let's say, what portion of truth do I want to know? We have said, let's focus on this because it actually has the most impact and power in our lives. And so let's choose life groups by the people that we want to walk through life with. And in the past, if you want to learn about parenting, you signed up for a parenting life group and whoever showed up in that life group with you, well, you were sort of stuck with them for 12 weeks. We've said, hey, Let's develop some intentional community because here's what you need to know about your coming life group. You may have been part of a life group in the past where, let's say it was an hour long and you spent 50 minutes going through the notes and getting all the right answers and learning about some subject and you spent 10 minutes at the end sharing prayer requests and trying to build a little community. We are teaching and training our life group leaders now to spend half of the time building the sense of community and taking the journey of life together because the most important thing that happens in a life group isn't learning something new, it's building lasting, brick-on-brick, life-on-life, transformational relationships. So that's a new paradigm for a church. Are you ready for that? Yeah? I think it is going to be fun. It's something new? It, no, it's not new. It's 2,000 years old. Uh, we're just catching up to that fact. So that's, that's where we're headed as a church. I'm super excited about that. Now listen, I want to close with one illustration and then three ways that we can apply this. We live in the state of California, and in the state of California, we have these things called HOV lanes. Are you familiar with them? 
Get in them at the wrong time and you will get familiar right away. About $300 familiar, all right? And HOV lane during rush hour is the place you want to be because you can go faster, it's safer, you get there quicker, and you fly by all those suckers who are sitting in their cars alone, right? And you try not to wave at them and feel smug. But that's where you want to be. Listen, you need to understand that life groups are like the HOV lane. The place you want to get in life and the best places in life, you can't get there by yourself. You can only get there when you take the journey with other people. Because together we what? Go further. That's why the title of this message is Living HOV Style. Because we want to go where we can't go alone. Now, three ways to apply this. Okay? And the first is, you want to get on the bus. Right? This stuff all takes place inside the church. And the way you enter the church that Jesus builds is by deciding to become a follower of Christ. And so, if that makes sense to you, and God's working in your life, I want to encourage you, don't leave this place without making that decision. Don't let the train leave the station and you're still standing there watching it go. Get on the train. Become a Christian. I'll lead us in a prayer in a minute. And if you're ready to make that decision, I want to encourage you, make it today. There's never a better time to decide to follow Christ than right now and begin this wonderful sense of transformation that only Christ can bring. The second way that we can apply this, and, and you'll see that on the... In fact, take your, take your card, if you would. Look on the back side right in the middle. You'll see it there. The second way that you can apply today's message is I'm going to ask two people this week to join a life group with me. So go find two people you really want to do life with and say to them, next week... When they open up life group signups, can you and I make an agreement we're going to sign up on the same life group? Because I want to go through life with you. I want to share life with you. I, I, I want you to be part of my life and I want to be part of your life. I have a confession to make. I've already said that to like five or six people. Okay? Because there are people I want to go through life with. Please don't feel bad. Oh, the pastor didn't ask me. Okay. You know, you know, together, we'll all find people that God wants us to take the journey of life with. And then the third thing is, what will make whatever group we join successful? And that is, I will commit to transparency, investment, and consistency in my life group. I will bring and create those cultures in my life group so that I can be a contributor to that group and I can have my life changed. Now I'm going to lead us in prayer and specifically in a prayer for those who are choosing to become a Christian. Father, I pray first of all for my friends that you would motivate all of us to choose not just a life group, but the specific life group that you know would just catapult us, draw us closer to you, and begin to bring real life change 
in our own lives. Would you give us grace to be transparent and to make an investment and be consistent in that life group so that we can get the absolute most out of that and we can grow spiritually at our peak. Then, Father, I pray right now for my friends that this is their moment to change their forever destiny, to get on board with you and to begin this wonderful journey that you have for them. Father, give them grace to make that decision right now. If you're ready to make that decision, here's the prayer. Lord Jesus, today I choose to enter your church by choosing to follow you with my life. Even though I don't know what all that means, I know this, that you died so that my sins could be forgiven. And you died so I could live. And live eternally. So I accept that gift. And I trust in you today. And I choose to follow you the rest of my life. I pray in your name. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.